0: to train it for life then train it with us your hosts dr andrew stewart and john romanelli welcome back to train it for life where we discuss the ins and outs of all things fitness ranging from health and wellness nutrition fitness performance rehab to everything in between thanks for training with us today welcome back everyone and thank you for being here if you are just joining us i am andrew also known as Stu, and i'm a physical therapist currently working with the chinese olympic team and with me today as always my uh co co
1: podcaster co whatever we are romo what's up everybody how's everybody doing uh, just real quickly, if you don't know me, I'm the other half of the podcast. As Stu was saying, uh, I'm the owner of Make It Train. Uh, focus on uh, creating customized nutrition, training, and lifestyle programs for individuals of all ages and fitness types. Very happy to uh, be here with you guys, and hope everybody is uh, staying safe and sane.
0: Just making my make my intro just look like absolute shit, like. Well, why, why don't enough? you
1: tell the audio? Why don't you tell the audience that you're a little hungover right now, and I'm I'm about five cups of coffee deep on my on my game right now. Uh, I'm <sighs> hungover
0: is a moving scale, and I'm not that hungover, so therefore it's not really a thing that needs to be brought up right now. I'm just okay. just waking up. I happen to be on the other side of the world, so my morning is your evening. So yeah, you're five cups in of, of coffee, but uh, you've also
1: been awake for the past I don't know eight hours, nine hours. Maybe yeah, I, I think, I think I've been awake for the last 14 hours. If I'm being honest, this is definitely a heavy caffeine day. I'm not gonna lie. I drank too much. I could tell it's gonna be hard to wind down. Dang. That's rough. That is rough, but I don't feel bad for
0: you. If I'm being honest, of course not. What, uh, what's been going on, man? What's, what's been like in the States? I haven't been back in seven months as of right now. What's, uh, what's happening there?
1: You know, much of the same, I think, since our last podcast. So we are still on our shelter-in-place order. Um, it actually got extended through the end of May now. So we were all excited. It was supposed to be lifted, actually, as of tomorrow, uh, based upon the, the day we're recording this podcast. But we got hit with another 30 days. So, um, you know, just trying to do the best we can, but it's definitely a kind of weird time. Um so yeah, I mean it's 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 goofy. I know you went through it cuz you guys were obviously the first ones to to get it. So, I mean, are things cleared up on your end what's going on over in China?
0: Well, man, if there's one thing I know, it's that China definitely did not have the virus. Like, come on, man. Read the reports. China didn't have it. Everyone knows we didn't have it here. I don't know what you're talking Fake about. News. Fake news. We didn't news. do any of that. We we had nothing to do with it. I mean, we're over here like, what are you guys doing? What did you guys do? <laughs> No, but seriously, all jokes aside about the geopolitical climate. Um, we, we did go through that and, and it it sucked. It freaking blew because unlike, unlike America, China obeys everything the government says. So when the government says go into lockdown, don't come outside, people went into lockdown, did not come outside. Nothing was open. And it stayed like that for quite some time. There was a few speakeasies. I actually went to, found a speakeasy bar. That I got like smuggled into the upstairs and was able to drink and hang out, but that was few and far between and they had to pay off the police to do that. But no, now we're geez. out of it. So I can, I can tell you, you will get out of it. It'll be fine in a couple weeks. If you can just not go out, not interact with too many people, like don't spread it keep it to a minimum. It's how infectious diseases work. If you, if they don't have a host, they die. If they die, then the virus goes away and everybody's happy again and everyone can do whatever the hell they want. And yeah,
1: just come on, man. <laughs> Stay inside for just a little while longer, everybody. Uh, no, I know. I know. I'm ready for the end. So I hope so, man. I hope so. Uh,
0: one thing I wanted to to talk to you about real quick before we get rolling today is so one of the things I've noticed, especially kind of being an outsider looking into the US right now, is that a lot of people I think are having a, a difficult time with the situation because of almost their identity being linked to their job. And so, for example, like I'm Andrew, the physical therapist, right? But at the time, to- at this time, this point, I'm not doing too much physical therapy, and you're John Romanelli, the the personal trainer, or the fitness coach, or whatever you want to deem yourself. Um, and then, you know, your girlfriend is Alex, the, the nurse or nursing student, and all these other people, they have all these jobs, like build a contract or whatever. But since no one can do that right now, I feel like a lot of people are feeling a little bit lost in who they are, like almost a they, they don't know what to do with themselves. One, because America never has six weeks off at a time because we don't believe in holidays in the United States. We believe in working till death. But two, just because we we so often just associate, like, you know, when you introduce yourself, hi, my name's Andrew. Oh, what do you do? Like, that's the second question after you introduce your name, right? Sure. So it just, it's uh, looking in from the outside, I just, it's it's odd here. People didn't really concern themselves. It's not like I'm, chen, changing the the builder or changing the, the the accountant. It's just people are people, and and they just kind of meander through life almost aimlessly at times. I don't know. Does this make
1: sense? I feel like I'm just kind of talking in circles at this point. <laughs> I, I i feel like it's one of those things where you almost made one complete point but the coffee hasn't quite hit in yet so you were like putting together fragments of really good stuff but there was just nothing that brought it all together um so i'm not sure what the listeners have taken away from it at this point other than Stu needs some more coffee but i yeah. think i know where you were going with that i know this this it,
0: This whole point, it was actually, so I I was thinking about this the other night. What I do regularly here in Baisha is I go on walks at night because I have nothing else to do. There's no one for for me to talk to because there's no English speakers here. And so I'll walk for like two hours around the whole city, which is approximately like, I don't know, uh, 15 kilometers. I do like a half marathon every day, basically. And (laughs) I was thinking about it and like just almost losing your identity through this whole entire thing, because you no longer are going to work. You're no longer going to school. You're no longer doing these everyday things that made who you were, who you were like, that was, that was you, that was your routine. That was what your, your drive was and your, your position in space or in life. And now that a lot of people have lost that, it, it just seems like it, it's, it's a, a mix of essentially just a bad situation. Like we have all these people that are very upset and they don't have any outlet to kind of go into. They can't immerse themselves into their work. They can't immerse themselves into school. They can't immerse themselves into the gym. They can't do any of those things. And so it's just a, a bad
1: situation getting worse as the, the, the climate gets worse, you know? Sure. Sure. I totally get that. I think, uh, you know, for me, I could definitely relate to the work identity and I've been fortunate enough that I do still have some clients that I've been working with. Um, so I do get to, you know, wear my work hat, you know, yeah. every, every once in a while. But I think that I definitely have lost my gym identity. And that's something where I know I can't be the only one. I know that probably sounds crazy, but you know, yeah. when it's such a important part of your life and it gets taken away and you know, I don't care what anybody says, like nothing, I don't care if you're working out at home, if you have dumbbells, if you have a bench, there's nothing that compares to going into a physical place and working out and training and just, you know, putting your headphones on and just getting immersed in it. And I know for me, that's something I've definitely lost. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of others have. Um, But I guess, you know, looking at your side, because you went through it and now I see you spending like four hours a day in the gym because, you know, you're able to. Yeah, yeah you know, what what did you do to kind of get through that time when you couldn't? I know, and and I don't mean in a sense of like, what did you do with your exercises? I just mean like, how did you physically get through it? Because right now it feels like we're just in this never ending, you know, spiral of uncertainty. So how did you do it? Right, right. So my situation was a little bit unique in that I
0: was on a training base, like an Olympic training base. So I still had access to my gym until... I left for a competition, came back to China, and then was locked in that room that we talked about. And that was when I had to utilize a lot of strategies at that point. And so, uh, probably the main thing was not even picking up, the, like you said, don't worry about the the exercises that you chose, but doing something, whether that's walking around a room or. Uh, doing some plyometrics or whatever you choose to do, but doing it consistently and making a schedule out of it. Because if you're not getting up and going to work, if you're not going to school, if you're not doing these things you normally do to motivate to get out the door, because that's almost the, the the driving force in and of itself. Once you leave the house, once you get the keys and you're about to leave, like your mind switches into that mode of, okay, now I'm moving on to the next part of my day. But if you can't do that, you need to create that that sort of rhythm, that, that scheduling, And so what I did is I didn't have a gym to work out in. So obviously doing like higher intensity stuff wasn't gonna happen. It just couldn't. And so I was like, well, you know what? Like I have all day to do something. Let me break this up into three or four components a day. And I'll just do like 30 to 45 minutes here of like some stupid push-up thing and then some SWAT thing later on in the day and then some ab thing. And so that way I had some sort of regimented schedule that I had something to look forward to And then I had a recovery phase and then, you know, still doing something, even though I couldn't do much. And that was probably, probably the biggest thing that helped me out throughout that time.
1: It makes sense. Definitely, definitely helpful. I think the schedule and maintaining some form of structure, I mean, I know me, like I, I heavily rely on structure in my life without it. I crumble. Um, so I think even if the structure is something as simple as like you said, Hey, at this time I have 30 minute abs at this time, I've got, you know, whatever it might be. I think that's, that's huge.
0: Right. And I mean, just picking something, I mean, it it could be a simple, I even had regimented times for, I, I uh somehow smuggled in some M&Ms and some other candies. And so like, it was like, all right, at 5.30, I get to watch this TV show with four M&Ms. Like, that's what I get to do. And it was like, I was looking forward to those progressive steps. And so, no, like, it was that bad. It was that bad where I was I was rationing out my M&Ms and my Oreos. And, and I was looking forward to those little points. And so I had, you know, I had this... Uh, this this day planned out. I had a day, you know. Even though I had nothing to do, I had a day at least. Um, but you know, there was a few things I wanted to talk about. I wanted to let our listeners know some uh, some interesting stuff about you. You recently just started
1: a big uh, a big moment in your life, a big pivotal moment, right? Yes, yes, I did. Loving it and hating it at the same time, but uh, <laughs> it is definitely definitely necessary. So I'm excited. And before anybody, what is it? What, what is it? I, not, what is it? I, I I did not get my girlfriend pregnant. I did not get That's good. engaged. None yeah. none of that stuff. Um, I just uh <laughs> you know somebody was thinking that. They're like, oh man, he knocked Probably. up his girlfriend, he's having a kid. Yeah, no, not uh not not quite. Um so I actually started my master's program uh this week. Um, so you know, for me, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I've been committed to being the best at my job and you know for me further education, higher education and continuing education is a big piece of that. Uh, so for me this was just the logical next step in my formal education career. Uh, so I've got a pretty long road ahead of me, but definitely excited to, you know, propel my my knowledge and my career. That's awesome, man.
0: Congratulations. Super proud of you. It's like feeling like my you, my
1: little you. brother just, you know, going going and doing a thing, man. I know. I know. That's hence the five cups of coffee and why I've been up for 14 hours already today.
0: <laughs>
1: right, right, right. Oh man. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's been good stuff, but uh, I think we should probably dive into, you know, the main topic of this podcast that, you know, I know we could, we could talk and catch up forever, but I'm sure some of our listeners came here for, for the topic. So I think that, um, you know, obviously we touched upon it. We've kind of lost motivation and with that loss of motivation also comes the mental side of not wanting to work out which leads right. us to ultimately our our topic that I'm sure everybody wants to know is are we losing all of our muscle like are we literally just over here in a state of atrophy did we lose our gains how do we get them back when do we get them back what is going on somebody give us some answers please so Stu so I think we should dive into that
0: yeah absolutely no I, I was uh, thinking about this podcast a couple a couple weeks ago and uh, it's definitely something that I'm sure a lot of people maybe not on the, the front of their mind I'm sure they have other concerns financial concerns and job concerns and whatever but you know if if you are into the fitness and workout world like you, you this is definitely in the back of your head somewhere even in the middle of your head maybe maybe it's in the front of your head I don't know it's somewhere in your head you know and I know I will admit when I was younger in my fitness career and, you know, lifting back in college, I, I legit thought that 48 hours after I finished lifting, let's say we did legs that day, we squatted 48 hours later, I squatted on Friday by Sunday afternoon, my legs were eating themselves. And I was just like, if I didn't get back in the gym and do legs within the next, you know, 12 to 24 hours, all of the things that I've done in the past year, two years, three years, 10 years, like they're gone, just gone. Everything I did,
1: just absolutely gone. Uh, how naive that was, you know. I, you know, I can't even as much as I want to throw shade at that. I, I was the same way, um. So I can't, and I think that, you know, is probably part of the reason why I overtrained so much because I literally thought that if I didn't get in there, that I was gonna lose my gains. Like you said, like literally yeah. sometimes within a day or two, I was like freaking out. I was like, I gotta get in the gym. So i i get that i definitely get that but the good news is there's a whole slew of research out there that actually looks at this which i know we're going to dive into um what about the straightaway answer i mean are are we losing all of our gains right now some of us like you romo might be losing our gains but only my calves
0: (laughs) only my calves uh I, there's not much to lose there, so the percentage-wise, like it's not you know you don't have to worry about that one very much. Uh, how do about I the lose one on yourself? You nothing. brought <laughs> that one on yourself. <laughs> uh, but if if you are looking for a, just a straight answer, it's it it takes much longer than that. And unless you're strapped to a bed and you are not moving and you're just laying there on your cell phone, not actually not even holding your cell phone, like you you can't hold your cell phone, then you'll be wasting away in that situation. But 99.9% of people are not in that situation. Most people are at least up and walking or doing something. And, you know, right now it's for a lot of people, it's just a lack of equipment or motivation or even scheduling it to, to work on this sort of stuff. But Romo, why don't you, why don't you go through why it at least appears that we're losing it? Because I, I know you and I have talked about this before, there's definitely a visual component to it. You know, like you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, man, like,
1: I, I look like I lost everything that I just did. For sure. For sure. And I think it really comes down to three things when we look at this from the visual standpoint, right? Why do we see it visually? Um, in the, in the first that I think is, you know, probably the most obvious and people probably don't want to admit, but it just goes back to your mind. And it's one of those things where if you've already convinced yourself that you're getting smaller in your head, there is a good chance that when you look in the mirror, you're going to see that same visual representation. And it, and again, I'm not trying to go down this rabbit hole, but you think about people with body dysmorphia, if they truly think, you know, they look a certain way, they might see themselves in that way. So I think that's the, the first, you know, reason that, that we look visually different, but the other two are actually going to be, you know, more kind of concrete based in, in research and things like that, which I know you could find research on, you know, the mental side of it. But again, that's, that's not really my, my field. So just wanted to touch upon it. Uh, when we, when we kind of look at the, why could we actually visually look smaller though? Um, the first would be rooted, um, in, in inflammation. So I know that term gets thrown around a lot. And what we might see or what one might see is, is actually a decrease in inflammation from not lifting weights or from going from a really hard, difficult training session to a resistance band workout. So that decrease in inflammation could definitely attribute.
0: Now, Romo, I got to stop you right here. Now, there's someone out there and they're sitting there thinking about Romo. Things only get inflamed when you're injured. Like, why would our muscles be inflamed? Why would they be at this, the state of inflammation and why would that affect how they look?
1: That's actually a, a really good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, and it's, it certainly does happen when you're injured, right? So that's, that's kind of the the main thing you, you trip and sprain your ankle and it swells up and it gets inflamed, but working out actually also causes low grade inflammation. So, let's all just think about inflammation in a very general sense here. I want you to think about it as the body's immune system responding to some form of irritant. So in this particular case, the irritant would just be the resistance training, right? So when we have inflammation, the body's also going to have increased blood flow because the immune cells are being carried to that area that's inflamed because it needs to heal it. So if you're accustomed to training frequently and, and specifically if you're training more hypertrophy based, uh, which hypertrophy just meaning muscle growth. So if you're particularly training in this way, which is going to cause a lot more damage than some other uh, training stimulus, you're going to have more damage and more inflammation as a result. So what happens is if you take that stimulus away because you either don't work out at all or because maybe you only have light resistance bands versus you know a full set of equipment, you're going to have less blood flow that's going to the tissues that you recently trained, which would visually make you look smaller. So would this be what Arnold Schwarzenegger considers the pump? You know, it, it definitely is. It's not necessarily the pump. It's the indirect outcome of the pump, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So the pump mm-hmm. you get is is not the, the damp, well, The damage can happen while you have a pump, but it's kind of the after effect of the pump or what Mm. Arnold would refer to as, you know, something that I probably shouldn't say on the, on the air, but I'm pretty sure we said it before. I think it might've been like our first, like five or 10 podcasts. I (laughs) I think we we did. You're right.
0: I think we quoted it. We'll leave it at that though. If you want to know what it is, go watch pumping iron with Arnold from the seventies. It's a, it's a, a classic flick. Uh, Just get the, get the PG version. Or don't do whatever you want man it's up to you live your life i'm not not (laughs) here to judge anybody so you you said there was three we've got the mental component of you kind of like how you see yourself we have the inflammation component what's the third one
1: so the third is actually going to be a decrease in the glycogen that's in the skeletal muscle so uh, as that decreases we're going to visually look smaller um, and we're also going to feel less of a sensation in the muscles when we're training them. Um, so you'll, you'll feel less of a, I hate to say it and come back to the pump, but you'll, you'll feel less of a pump, less of a <laughs> sensation when you're working out. All I could think of my brain just keeps going to every time I'm getting pump, I feel like I'm coming. So I'm coming all the time in the gym. I just couldn't resist it. It was with, just, it was there at home with my wife in front of the <laughs> when day, <I'm>, <laughs> people in front of
0: me. Imagine how great <laughs> my life is. <laughs> oh, that was my best Arnold presentation. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. That was, uh, that was for that was you. Good. That my, was for you. Mine was Let's, awful. Mine was awful. <laughs> Let's get back.
1: Let's get back. Let's bring us back in. So, glycogen. What is glycogen? Sure. So, uh, glycogen is just the stored form of energy, um, which we can actually break down during activity to provide us energy in the form of glucose. All right, so short answer. Glycogen is sugar inside of our bodies. Yes, that is correct. But, 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 but it is also going to be stored in smaller amounts in our brain, in our heart, in the smooth muscle cells, in the kidneys, the red and white blood cells, and even in some fat cells. And outside of it just being sugar in the muscles, as you referred to, um, it's also going to regulate... The signaling of different pathways that are going to be involved in, you know, different training adaptations. So, um, we primarily think of it as stored fuel or stored sugar. Um, but it does have other function as well, but yeah, certainly most known for, for that. Gotcha. So how, so if we, with how glycogen works as a stored fuel, how does this change the way our muscles look visually? So each gram of glycogen that's going to be stored is going to store with a minimum of three grams of water with it, okay? And we'll, we might actually have to do some calculations because that might not sound like a lot, but but that could drastically change the way the muscle looks, as well as how much we actually weigh on the scale. So it is going to vary from individual to you know individual based upon their body composition and things like that. But let's say that my body could store 600 grams of glycogen, okay? So think of this just as like my gas tank, okay? Okay. That's a good way of thinking about it. My gas tank is full on 600 grams of glycogen. So if if my glycogen stores are fully topped off, we know that that would bring a minimum of 1800 grams of water, right? Because we said that one gram of glycogen equals three grams of water minimum, okay? So All right. again, my gas, my gas tank's full. I've got 1,800 grams of water in my body. And now we got to convert that because we don't measure water in grams. Um, so that's going to be close to um, a half a gallon of water, okay? So half a gallon of water when my glycogen stores are full. And if we mm-hmm. then transition that and look at that, what does that look like on in terms of pounds? We're talking about roughly four pounds here. So think about a difference that you could see both on the scale and visually with four pounds of water inside your muscles. You know, think about that. I see. So in order to ensure, if I'm, if I'm hearing you
0: correctly, I'm, I'm kind of processing this and I'm trying to put it in a way that make sure everyone understands this. If I understand you, bef- if we wanna make sure our gas tank is topped off before we go work out, before the day, everybody should eat donuts to fill up their gas tank of glycogen. That's what you're saying. That's Man. what I'm
1: hearing right now. And, and here I was thinking you were kind of come up with some well thought out follow-up synopsis on what I just said. You just, you just want every excuse to eat donuts. Um, but not quite. So that actually is a valid question though. Cause you might think, Hey, if I'm at three quarters of a tank and I'm trying to fill up real quick before the gym, why don't I just eat a bunch of donuts? So as much as I know you just want to eat donuts, there is some validity in that question. So I definitely, I appreciate it. Um, there, the we, go. Why there we go. There we go. Romo said reason, it. <laughs> get out of here. I did not say that. And, and, and here's why. So it's going to take time for that glycogen to replenish. So you say you do eat donuts, you're probably going to be able to use some of that form in the readily available glucose. All right. So it's not going to actually synthesize to glycogen. So what might happen is it will get into your, your bloodstream, your blood sugar will rise and you can use some of that energy, but depending how much of the donuts you eat, your, which I know what you do, which is, you know, eat at least half a dozen, you're probably going to have a rebound effect. So, so what I mean by that rebound effect is your glucose will spike so high from the sugar rush that in order for the body to lower that glucose down, it's going to secrete a ton of insulin. And when it does that, because it has to secrete so much to try to lower those levels, which you just spiked, usually what happens is you get a rebound effect where then your blood sugar drops too low. And then suddenly you try to go in the gym and you feel like you're not, you're, you're going to pass out. You don't have enough energy. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I I know that, you know, it might seem like a good idea if you just kind of look at the, the macro level of it, but- not, not exactly what you want to do and and if I do recall speaking of sugar highs didn't you didn't you used to eat gummy worms in the middle of your workout during college weren't you that guy uh maybe I mean it
0: might have been gummy worms it might have been gummy bears it might have been a gummy something I I'm not gonna get into the specifics of what the particular sugar source was but yes I did eat gummy worms and I I honestly can't even tell you if it helped or not. I can only tell you that what I did was I read that you needed carbs in the middle of a long workout. And I was working out for like three hours at a time. And I was like, yeah, gummy worms. That sounds good. You know, might as well have been donuts <laughs> at that point in time. Like this is how how little science
1: was in my in my workout in the beginning. But didn't, didn't, God, I don't even mean to get off topic, but I just can't not go here. Wasn't there a day though, where you literally lifted for like 13 hours and you just brought all your food in the gym and you literally stayed in the gym all day?
0: Yeah, it was a 10 hour day. And I went, I think I got to the gym at like 9am and I started with swimming and then ended up like, you know, being done with swimming in about an hour. And then I ate a power bar and then I went up and lifted and then had another power bar, gummy bears, or whatever I had. Then I had three different games of racquetball I had to play with three different people, actually, two different people. My bad. And then after that, like I think I played basketball, or soccer in there. And honestly, I don't know how I didn't get rabdo. Like, uh, it's <laughs> stupid, absolutely stupid, dumb. Don't do that. That's dumb. I mean, go have fun with your life, but don't don't do that. It's stupid. No gains were made. No gains were had. Just catabolic reactions all over the place. No anabolic stuff with that. I was I was just breaking my body down. Um, but let's 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 rope this back in. So glycogen. How does how does our body use that then? What is
1: it? What happens? How does the reaction happen? So ATP, adenosine triphosphate, is the energy currency of our body and we need this ATP in order to fuel our muscle contractions. So because of that, we need a constant supply of it because we burn through it very quickly. So in the case of glycogen, we break it down from its storage form Which is in the muscle and the liver, and we turn it into glucose. So then we can turn that into ATP, which is just a usable form of of energy. ATP is energy currency for the body.
0: Okay. Now, uh, if we take a step back and take a look at this in the general population or just in in different training styles uh if we're looking at an endurance athlete versus a resistance training athlete how does it change with the glycogen because a resistance training athlete is probably going to have more muscle so if i'm looking at this kind of you know common sense wise like more muscle you're going to have more glycogen but an endurance athlete has to has to run for or do whatever they're doing for a longer period of time so i'd imagine if i'm driving a car further i'm going to need more gas if i'm driving a massive car, I'm probably going to need more gas too. Like, how does that, how
1: does that correlate? Sure. Great question. So the type of exercise and most importantly, the intensity and the duration of that exercise are going to determine how much glycogen we use versus how much fatty acids we use. So um, when we, when we just take a step back before I dive into what exercise intensity that happens at. Our body's primary fuel source is is carbohydrate. And what happens is as we work out in higher intensities, we use more glucose and glycogen. And as we work out in lower intensities, we're gonna use more fat for fuel. So I think where people get a little bit tripped up with this is they think that they're independent. So like you're either burning all carbs or you're burning all fats, but there's always a mixture of both. So you're never fully burning one fuel, you're always burning a mix. Um, So we have to look at, okay, where is that threshold where it kind of crosses over, where one is more predominantly burned than the other? Um, And the research shows it's like 60% of your VO2 max, okay? Um, So as we go higher than 60%, Uh, What we see is a shift in carbohydrates being used. So you're going to burn more carbohydrates than fat. And as we go to a lower intensity, so less than 60%, um, assuming that it's for an adequate duration of time, we're going to use more fatty acids for fuel. So that will definitely determine which fuel source predominates. Uh, Okay.
0: All right. Makes sense relating this back to our current situation though. So now we know how it, how we use it and what it's used for and, and everything. How long, how long does it take for that glycogen level to drop off and deplete now that everyone's kind of in quarantine?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, and there's a lot of different factors that would affect how quickly, um, the glycogen gets depleted and, and it also how quickly it gets replenished. Um, so I think we should probably start dissecting from the side of depletion first um, and, and kind of look there. So um, like I was just mentioning, exercise intensity and duration are going to play the biggest roles in this. So uh, a typical trained and well-fed endurance athlete, um, their muscle glycogen concentrations are going to be roughly 150 millimoles per kilogram. Okay. So moles. Let's, oh my God. I haven't heard moles since like high school, man. <laughs> I know. I know. And 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 again, Holy if you shit. don't if <laughs> don't worry so much about the millimoles part right now. Just worry about the 150 number and and that's what you got to worry about. If you're just listening, trying to get an idea. So um let's say that, like we said, we've got a trained athlete. He's well fed. He's an endurance athlete and his Muscle glycogen concentrations are 150 uh, millimoles for, <laughs> per, per kilogram. So let's take this athlete and let's say that he trained pretty hard for two hours, right? That's not uncommon to you know have a two-hour training session. Um, in that particular case, it would not be unrealistic to see a 50% decline in that athlete's muscle glycogen stores. So in a two-hour workout, um you know again things like intensity will will slightly modify that so we have to talk kind of in general um it would not be it would not be uncommon to see a 50% reduction in total glycogen stores um so that kind of that kind of answers you know part of it um but there's going to be a lot of factors that influence how quickly then the flip side, the athlete could replenish it. So we know that, you know, you got a two hour workout we've lost half of our glycogen. We need to, you know, try to top the, the gas tank off. So um, some factors that will come into play with this is it's not only going to be, you know, how much carbohydrate and the type that they eat, but also how much downtime and rest there is between that next training session. So uh, if we look at it and and just look at the numbers, um, the, the, resynthesis rate of glycogen is, is slow. So it, it's, you're probably going to see a, a rate of like five to six millimoles per kilogram per hour. Okay. So let's just use those same numbers that we worked off of. If you're trying to replenish that athlete to 150 and and that would be full storage, uh, you're talking about 15 hours or so. Okay. So that's not, that's not a short turnaround time. And, and where we see, you know, it get even more complicated is usually an athlete or even just the everyday person, they usually don't have 15 full hours of rest between their next training session. So what you see is they might train multiple times in a day or they might be night, morning and things like that. They don't have 15 hours of full rest. So what happens is their glycogen is not fully uh, recovered or refueled, refilled. Um, So what happens is then they start that next training session and their stores are maybe at 75%. So this becomes, you know, a very interesting area when you look at performance optimization and things like that. Um, So kind of, you know, a a general rule, if, if you're looking at it is, hey, if you know you've got training sessions close together, you know, I'm not talking like a two, well, I guess a two a day could work if you're splitting it, you know, morning and night. But I think about a lot of my clientele, some days they work out in the evening after work. Some days they work out before work. So if we have that, that split where they're in the gym at, you know, seven o'clock at night on Monday morning, and they're going to train fa- you know fasted or early in the morning Tuesday, we got to, we got to factor these things in because we know that we're not going to be able to have a, you know, a topped off gas tank, if you will. So this is really important stuff.
0: Yeah. And, and relating that back, maybe more to an athletic standpoint, oftentimes you see deloading that last week before a competition or, if they don't have a full week, like for our athlete, we're fortunate enough for every competition, you can do a full week of deload. But some of like my rugby players or if you play a team sport, it's usually just the last two days they take to replenish all of their stores. So then they're coming back 100% that day of, of competition. So interesting, sure. interesting just to kind of see this worked
1: out here and and, and put in front of me. Um, and to Stu, another, I mean, I guess another, you know, applicable way of thinking about this. Cause I know we do have a, a pretty diverse audience of what their sport is and what their interest, you know, think about competitors for a show, this same principle applies. You actually, well, Everybody does it different, so I'm not going to say everybody does it one way. But most yeah. uh, coaches, when they when they prep an individual, yeah. you dial off the gas pedal that last week. You carb up to fill up the stores, which gives you that visual appearance of looking like you're about to explode. So it all comes back <laughs> to this, and you know, there's there's other factors as well. But you know, whatever way you want to think about it, whether it's for an endurance, um, you know, meet, whether it's for a competition, but you know, even us at home, like it makes sense why we would visually look smaller. If you look right. at, you know, these facts,
0: right. Right. And, and so it, I guess kind of the take home point for this portion here is that it's not that our muscle fibers are getting smaller. It's just that our gas tank has, has shrunk a little bit for the
1: short time period.
0: Sure. The balloon inside that is
1: you... Yep. I was going to say balloon analogy is another good one. If you think about filling up a water balloon, you know, mm-hmm. a full water balloon versus a half filled water balloon looks different. Yeah fair enough fair
0: enough well i think we probably should throw in a break because we are this is a long one uh so let's let's take a break we'll give the audience kind of a time to to pause it go to the bathroom get a cup of coffee whatever they want to do and then we will be back what's up guys it's dr Stu. we don't actually have a real commercial break despite what we told you and what we'll tell you here in a minute but what we do have is this wonderful guitar solo song that you get to listen to and kind of turn your brain off for a minute so enjoy this is from valentine Sosnitsky, and if you like it let us know maybe we'll start doing this with every single one of our shows in the future Welcome back. I hope that you had a chance to go to the bathroom, get some coffee, and I hope you enjoyed our commercial break. That,
1: I believe, Romo, is our first commercial break, correct? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it counts, though, if it's a self, <laughs> self-made self commercial break, but yeah, I guess we can, we can count hey man, that as a win or a first. We're,
0: we're doing it. We're doing it big. We're doing it big. Uh, I had to go go
1: fill my, I had to go fill up my glycogen store. So sorry.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, getting back to that, you know, if, when we left you guys, essentially what we were talking about was what happens, what's the first thing that happens when we feel like our muscles are getting smaller? And if I can summarize this adequately, essentially that first sensation of us feeling or looking or, or being smaller is our gas tank, which is our glycogen stores have depleted a uh, small amount. And so we feel and look a little bit smaller than we did beforehand. Correct, Romo? Is that pretty
1: much it? That is correct in a in a nutshell. But I think, Stu, when we, when we look at this, so as much as I want to blame it, blame it all on that, we got to be realistic and, you know, transparent because that's what we do on this podcast. There has to be some atrophy. So for anybody, I guess I shouldn't just openly use that term. When I say atrophy, think of think of muscle wasting or just muscle loss. Okay, just some actual loss in muscle. Let's let's talk about this because I think it's impossible that there wouldn't be, right?
0: Yeah, no, you are you're one hundred percent right, and um, I, I want to be careful with using the term muscle wasting in in the physical or in the healthcare world. We have to choose our words very very. Precisely, because if you say the wrong thing, you could catastrophize something in someone's head. So it's not muscle wasting, everybody. It's just a slight decrease in muscle size is what we're going to go off of here. All right. I my, my apologies. <laughs> <clears throat> it's okay. No worries. No worries. Uh, when when you finish your, your grad program, you'll you'll be in in tune. But anyway, the uh, it's really hard to state how much a a Person will will lose over the course of time because it depends on so many things. And so that's what makes this really difficult to kind of pin down. We can't just say, like you were just doing, well, you're going to lose, you know, seven millimoles per day, per hour, per whatever. It's going to be, you know, dependent upon a lot of things. And so some of the things would be your training style prior. Were you doing strength training? Were you doing endurance training? Were you doing um, hypertrophy or power training? You know, all these different things can factor in. Were you, were you eating enough? You know, as we go back to what you were just talking about, your diet, were you eating enough to have a caloric deficit or eating enough to have a caloric, um, why am I blanking on the term for the opposite deficit right now? Are you looking for the
1: (laughs) word, can we get surplus for 300?
0: Surplus. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Dude, it's, it's been a wild, wild ride the past 12 hours of my life. All right, man.
1: (laughs) I'm going to let it slide, doc.
0: I appreciate that. Uh, The next thing would probably be like your current phase of periodization. Were you already going into a, a decrease in muscle size because you were trying to slim down or whatever it was? And, you know, are you currently training during your lockdown? I mean, we've already kind of talked about this, but you can still do something. And a lot of atrophy studies look at people who have been completely immobilized. And so you're looking at this and they're, they're completely locked down to a point where they can't do anything. So their muscles will will decrease in size and before we move on off of that i think it's really important that we talk about why is our body doing this because strength is important we need strength to move our bodies if we don't have strength if we don't have muscles we can't move it's physically impossible unless you have robotic legs and robotic arms so why does our body do this and it comes down to just our body is an efficient machine and it's, it, it's a use it or lose it principle. If you don't use something, there's no reason for it to have it there because it's taking up energy. It's taking up calories. It's taking up all these different resources and your body's going, well, you know, we don't need a, we don't need a bicep right now. Like we're not lifting anything heavy. So let's, let's take resources away from there and let's move it to somewhere more important. So your brain or, you know, let's work on healing that one bad ankle we had or whatever it is. And so it's going to decrease its energy wasting components. And then we also need to look at physical stress theory. And so what this is, and I'll try to simplify this as as best as possible, but physical stress theory in a nutshell says your body responds to the stresses you place upon it. So if you start running, you're going to get better at running. If you start lifting heavy things, you're going to get better at lifting heavy things if you decrease in those things, your body's going to respond to that and decrease its its uh, its muscles, its glycogen stores, all these different things because you'll be under training and going in the opposite direction of where most people want to go.
1: So that, Stu, that all makes sense to me. I think you did a good job of of kind of summarizing what, what can be a, a kind of intimidating theory. So I get that. So let's just go on the side of, Hey, no one is nearly training at the capacity that they were prior to this and they're going to we know that, you know, just what you said, the body will will downregulate cuz there's no need to, you know, continue to keep that up. So, how long does it actually take to lose the real gains? I hate to sound like a bro science guy, but but like let's look at that. If I'm if I'm just a general guy out there and I've been weightlifting prior and now I'm not how long am i gonna how long is it gonna take for me to lose the muscle that i just built in the gym
0: right right and that that's a really difficult question to answer a good question you know obviously everyone wants to make sure that they they are still maintaining their goals because that's usually what it comes down to is you have a goal that you're trying to hit and this is putting a pretty big roadblock in the way um, but it's, it's difficult to answer and like i said before most studies on atrophy Rely on complete disuse. So they're looking at someone who had a spinal cord injury. They're looking at someone who had surgery and is in a mobilization cast. And I would argue that most people that are listening to our podcast, all two of them, your mom and my mom, three of them, three of them, and then my uh, my wife's mom, they're probably doing something. And I know I know they're doing something. And and so like if you if you Google this, like I just typed it into Google real quick because I wanted to see what came up. And like you and I were talking about earlier, is it says. You know, after 72 hours, you know, of not working out, your muscles are just gonna die and they're, they're gonna go away. And you need to do something and you need to lift heavy things and you need to sprint and you need to do all these crazy things. But like I just said, like, yeah, that's true if you're laying in bed and you're doing nothing. So I was like, all right, we need to get away from Google. Google's great, Google's fine, but Google, you're, you're scaring me, you're scaring people, you're being an alarmist, and, and that's no good. <laughs> As they say here in China, like, don't spread rumors, don't spread rumors.
1: After do that, <laughs> that one so, big rumor about the, the virus, huh?
0: <laughs> Don't talk about that. Don't talk about it. Sorry. So, I <laughs> so I went and and I was researching some stuff, and I actually found a really good study that I really really liked, uh and it was a meta-analysis. And you know, they took for anyone who doesn't know what a meta-analysis is, essentially, a team of researchers or students or people getting their doctorates. They compile a composite list of all the different studies that are currently out there all the randomized control trials all the retro uh analysis and all the questionnaires quantitative qualitative everything everything they can find and then they they ask a question about it and they're trying to find out what is the actual decrease in muscle size with d training is i think the term they use for it so um from there they whittle it down i think they found eight or ten studies to, to go off of that had the correct criteria, that, you know, had the right amount of everything and had good powers, um, a decent amount of people in them. And it's, uh, it came out of the Scandinavian Journal of Medicine and Science and Sport. And it ranged from 14 to 365 days of detraining. So we're looking at two weeks to a full year of detraining. With the the mean was around 32 days, so we're looking at one month for the most part for most of them. And I got to be honest with you, like I, the the first thing they were talking about was the transition of muscle fiber types. And I thought that that was that was pretty crazy because what they found out is that there was a two percent reduction in type one muscle fiber. And so for anyone out there, type one is sort of like your uh, your slow twitch, your endurance muscles, the ones that kind of just keep going when you're you're walking for a long period of time or if you're a, an endurance runner you have a lot of type 1 muscle fibers and they found an increase in type 2x muscle fibers uh, 3% increase so there's a you know like 0. 0.2 0. 0.7 depending upon which muscle fiber type but they summarize it a 2% reduction in type 1 and 3% increase in type 2 and what this means for just to make this super easy is that the percentage of the muscle is now more fast twitch. uh, But it does not indicate the cross-sectional analysis of the muscle or actual size. So it doesn't have any relationship to what the actual size of the muscle is. It just means that some of these muscle fiber types have actually switched to a different fiber component, essentially um, changed from slow twitch to fast twitch. And if we can go off on a tangent here, I just want to talk about like, how incredible is that, that our body can do that type of stuff, you know, uh, from an That's evolutionary wild. standpoint, That's the only, I, w- I was trying to conceptualize like, why would our, why would our bodies do that? And, and the only thing I could kind of think of is that in, if we look at this three five seven thousand ten thousand years ago, if, if we were sitting around and you know we were detraining and all of a sudden a a jaguar or a lion came into our camp because we were nomadic people back then like we don't need we don't need slow twitch because we're not like oh well we're going to go chase down this prey for the next five hours we need something that's going to be quick and get us away from that situation fight or flight essentially and i don't know just i thought that was super interesting and and cool to see i don't know you look are you not, not enjoying that analysis. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 100 no, wrong.
1: No, I actually, as you were saying it, I was trying to think about it too. And that's what I came back to was the, the actual use of if there was an event that elicited such a, a high stress response, like you said, a jaguar or a bear or something. There is absolutely no good for type one fibers in that situation. You would need, you know, type two fast twitch. So, you know, again, we're, we're just spitballing out loud, but it is crazy to yeah. think that our bodies could do that. Assuming that was, you know, the reason that we're you yeah. know, built like that evolution, you know, that's yeah. insane. That's crazy. Yeah. So what, what
0: that essentially says, Romo, is now it's time to work on your vertical. Now it's time for you to try to dunk.
1: I don't know. I don't know if you've seen this. I know you give me shit about my calves, but I don't know. I'll I'll send you the video when we get off here. But I did clear a fifty-six inch box jump. Just so you know. Just so you know, I'll send you the video. We can we can talk at length when we're off this podcast
0: about box jumps and what they actually measure. Listen, later on.
1: Listen, you can hate all day when you can jump fifty-six inches over some boxes. You you come talk to me. All right.
0: I don't deal in inches anymore. I'm only in centimeters and meters, so uh, I don't even know what 56 inches is at this point. Like, what is that? It basically it like just a meter? Jump,
1: jump over me if you want. It's pretty much
0: it. I can do that. That's that's as they say in China, "may one tea." No problem.
1: All right. Well, when you get home, when you get home, put it on your calendar. <laughs> but I want to oh. ask though, Stu. I want to ask because that that is super interesting about the the fiber type. But what about the actual? size of the muscle what yeah no
0: this is this is the important part this is the what they're actually looking for that stuff was all just kind of oh hey we found that out um coincidental this i'm going to give you a quote actually because i think the quote kind of summarizes it a lot better periods with reduced muscle activity do induce large atrophy of muscle fibers approximately eight percent and eleven percent of type one and all type two muscle fibers respectively so 8% 8% for type 1, 11% for type 2, which likely will affect the mechanical properties of the muscle. However, this is the key point. After an initial change of type 1 muscle fiber proportions, after an initial change in the type 1 muscle fiber proportions and muscle fiber cross-sectional analysis, after about 1 month, these adaptations seem to level off, after which no further changes by time was detected. Regular muscle use, such as everyday activities, seem to have a preventing effect on the loss of muscle size. Therefore, if loss of muscle mass is of concern, upholding some loading activity of the muscle in the initial weeks of reduced muscle use would appear to be beneficial.
1: Well, there it is, Stu. So pretty much I've lost 19% of my muscle. Is that what you're telling me? I,
0: I feel like you you didn't hear a single word I just said. I I you know what I'm gonna talk to everyone else because because you you know you, you're just you're you're in your own mind right now at this point.
1: Um, well, you just told me I lost a yes. fifth of my muscle. Right. Of course, I'm a little frazzled over here. What do you expect? <laughs> so yes,
0: if you were to go completely into detraining, you would lose approximately twenty percent of your muscle. However, as the study indicated, is that after that first month, if you did some sort of, of workout, some sort of training, even just walking, even just going up and down the stairs, you're going to blunt the effect of that muscle loss. And it's not going to be as detrimental as you are thinking and catastrophizing in your head as 20%. It's not going to be that much. It's going to be somewhere below that. And after that first month, wherever you see yourself at this point, because I think most people are, are in their lockdown or in their social distancing for this last month, um right now you're kind of hitting that plateau and you shouldn't expect to really go any further down from there in fact if you can you should probably start to see a little bit of increase because now things are starting to open back up and more people are finding ways to work out outside of a gym uh at least that's what i'm I'm observing from over here is that people are finding new ways to kind of stay active
1: would you would you say that's true Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's to the point where everybody's realized they have to get a little creative and, you know, they're definitely utilizing the outdoor space and in parks and stuff. And, you know, it's good to see. Right. 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 I mean, that's, that's good. It's, and it's good just to be out and
0: and as you like to do earthing, get your your feet outside and, and do some things. Uh, but, uh, you know, to continue off of that there, there's some other research out there and it's got some good news and, um, one of the things they're looking at is this term muscle memory. And if it's a real thing, and if you started training young, are you going to be able to stay with it for life? And, uh, you know, this I'm just going to summarize it real quick. We'll kind of dissect it in a second. But they found that in trained individuals who detrained for upwards of 20 weeks, so we're looking at four to five months of detraining, it only took about eight weeks to return to their one rep max. Which, when I was reading that, I was just like, that's. Like that's pretty incredible uh, at all I, we can discuss the one rep max here in a second, but, uh, it's, I think that's incredible. If you can go five weeks without training or decreasing your training significantly, and then within two months return back to where you were before.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's crazy. And I don't want to deny that or, or necessarily take away from that, but to be fair, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you because yeah. you know, that's, that's part of our job. That is talking about a one rep max, okay? Which which for anybody, that's the amount of weight that you can lift for one rep with perfect form, right? That's what we call our one rep. Right. So yeah. that's not necessarily a direct measure though of muscle size as much as it's a measure of strength or neurological output. Um, so, right. you know, again, I'm just looking at this, trying to look at it from all sides. So it's great that it increases that, but I want to talk more about the actual muscle size, right? So what, what happens to the muscle size in that particular case? So, uh, I want to dive into one of these studies that, that we both looked at, you actually had sent it mm. to me. It was really, really good. Um, and I know we both kind of read it in, in dive in, dove, uh, dived in i can't even speak we've dove into it ourselves and we're gonna dive go. into it now yeah just i'm in the pool man i don't know what's going on i dove i dived hey, and i between might be drunk. me
0: and surplus and you dive dove div whatever you're saying like don't get it
1: <laughs> i swear we're pretty smart and we have a decent amount of credentials between the two of us but yeah it's uh <laughs> it's crazy so that that was just recently published like like really recently wasn't it
0: yeah, uh, in fact, I think it might have even been ahead of print
1: or within the past
0: year. Oh, I can't even remember off the top of my head right now.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I think it you're. It's on my... It was head of print, wasn't it? When the from when we got it. Yes, I'm gonna go with
0: yes, maybe, yes. I can't see a date on it as I have it pulled up right now. Oh no, 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 no. no. It's been around no. June, 2020. So uh, yeah, it's ahead of print.
1: (laughs) Ahead of print. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I remember looking at that. So sorry, we digressed a little bit, but um, for anyone listening, this is ahead of print. So this is a essentially brand new study. So really, really interesting stuff. And I'll give you the background because it's important for you guys to know what they were looking at, because the conversation and the stuff that we are going to talk about Will not make as much sense without it. So um, here's the context of of the study. So uh, essentially, what they did is they took 40 older men and they split them into an exercise group and a control group. And in this exercise group, they had these men complete 12 weeks of a resistance training program, which was their initial training phase. Then for the next 12 weeks, they didn't engage in any resistance training at all. So this was their de-training phase. And then after those 12 weeks of detraining, they had one more 12 week phase of retraining where they used the same training program as the first 12 weeks. Um, and what they were trying to test is the theory that Stu kind of talked about earlier: the if you don't use it, do you lose it? So. Um, Stu, I know there was a whole lot that, that came of this study, but why don't you talk about what they observed from the strength and the power improvements, um, as yeah. well as the one RM. And then I can talk about, you know, some of the, the other stuff, but that's a, probably a good place to start. Right. Uh, and before I get too far into this,
0: I always like to point out kind of the, this study, this particular one it, it's really hard to apply to everybody and i want to make that very clear right now off the bat uh, we're looking at older men so we're looking at i think the the highest age range for the workout group was 77 or 70 and then the control group was 77 so like these are are generally older individuals their their testosterone's lower and so to apply and they're they're men so to apply this to a female population to an athletic population to an adolescent population not quite so easy. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, it's good to look at, and it. it's good to kind of see how this this goes. But don't think that because the way this thing is reading and how this how this goes out or plays out that it applies directly to you at this point in time in your life. Uh, so what they what they're looking at is they're looking at peak power and one repetition max. And so uh, one repetition max is, as Rumble explained, is just your max power output or max strength output on one particular movement. And to kind of just talk about this anecdotally, like that, that doesn't always correlate to strength. In, in my opinion, I think in Romo's opinion as well, because some people don't load up that high and they might be looking at more of like a 10 rep max, or they might be looking at just different components of their strength outside of a one rep max. Um, and when they looked at this, if you think about this conceptually, they had one group that did nothing, the control group. Did absolutely nothing. And so they tested consistently every single time because they didn't train, tested. The experiment was applied where they didn't train and tested. Same numbers came out. Didn't train again during the detraining phase. Tested, same number. And then returned to the experimental like retraining position where they didn't train. And they tested. And pretty much their line was flat. The control group was just a flat line. And then if you look at the... The experimental group, they started off actually at a significantly lower amount. And I'm not gonna go into the numbers with this, but if you look at, oh, Nihao, uh, I'm getting, Nihao, Dai, yeah. Uh, I'm getting interrupted by the cleaning ladies right now, so we're gonna actually take another break here. So hang out with us for a second.
1: Literally, I'm watching his camera to make sure it really is what he says, and I don't know, I figured it was like a liquor delivery okay it is in fact correct yes and your room's a mess you should be ashamed of yourself uh yeah i mean i don't really have
0: a place to put clothes so and i'm leaving in four days so like i just leave shit on the bed like i
1: don't fold laundry anymore at this point must be nice must be nice drinking beer singing karaoke not folding my laundry i get kicked out of my own life right i get kicked out of my own house for that activity especially the laundry folding Yeah,
0: it's a life. It's a living. (laughs) All right. Okay, sorry about that guys. I had, we had to go on pause there for a second. The uh, cleaning people for my room or whatever came in and they were being loud and broke my train of thought, which is very easy to do anyway. Like sometimes I break my own train of thought. So anyway, we're talking about the difference between the two, the two different groups and the training versus uh, untrained. And the training group I think is where I left off. I didn't have a chance to go back into our recording to see where I was, but essentially they, they tested in the beginning they did a training phase, tested at the end of the training phase for their peak power and their one RM. And then they went to a detraining, and then tested again at the end of it and then trained again and saw where they were at the end of the study. And so what they found was at the end of training, both groups were similar. And I really want to help you understand why that was. When you looked at it, the untrained group, the control group stayed flat. But they started off at... Oh man, what was the number on there? I probably should read the actual number on this study here real quick. So, when we're looking at this, they started off at... Sorry, guys. I'm trying to find it. Bear with me for 30 seconds. Maybe less. Maybe more.
1: I'm counting. Just so you know, I have the timer on. Oh, God damn it! I hate when I'm If on. you beat the timer, something good will happen. If you don't, you're not allowed to eat lunch. Okay. Okay. So... The one I found was the peak power one and
0: the peak power for the control group was between it started off at 440 watts while the exercise group, the training group started off at 400 give or take. And so at the end of training, both were at about 450, like that's where they ended up. Then they went into D training and the the control group stayed flat throughout that whole entire time. And the exercise group dropped back down to about 430-ish, 430 watts. And then at the end of the retraining, they jumped back up to 450 where the untrained, the control group was just sitting at the whole entire time. And so if you just read the data on that, it looks like, well, what's the, what, what's the, even the point of training? Like, why would we even do that if it doesn't change our peak power output, doesn't change our 1RM? But it's important to understand that if you're looking at it and if the the small sample size, because I think there's only like 40 40 guys, right? Yeah, Such a small sample size. A few outliers can skew that result of the control group so dramatically if they are just, you know, they train when they're younger or they're just bigger guys so they can move more. And so they didn't change at all. And the training group was able to actually increase their power output by a significant amount and return back to it, which I think is much more important than actually looking at how they were compared to the control group, because it, it doesn't matter where someone else is. It matters how much you can improve and how much you yourself can get back. So if we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with this, and we just look at it in that respect, you're still able to make improvements and you're still able to return to that that same amount, you know, shortly thereafter. A few other things I wanted to touch on And you mentioned this earlier is where they're looking at one RM, one rep max, and then the peak power values. And the phrase that I go with is the test tests what the test tests. And they were looking at that, but the purpose of the study was to look at, I think, myonuclei, right? Yep. Yep. And so at that point, and you're looking at muscle size. So if you're looking at muscle size, but you're testing for strength and power, those don't correlate. And the best way I can kind of summarize that or give you a a metaphor for that is take a look at the people in 2021 or whenever the Olympics happen next. I mean, whenever, whenever that happens and take a look at the Olympic lifters, the, the Olympic lifters that are competing. And you're going to see some dudes that are 140 pounds and they're going to be just throwing around 300, 400 pounds over their head. And that alone is absolutely incredible. And that's their, that's their strength. That's their power output. Those guys are about 50 pounds less than me moving way more weight. So their one rep max is probably significantly higher. It's definitely significantly higher than me, but their muscle size, if you were to, you know, give us both a pair of pants, like I'm going to be wearing bigger pants than them, but I'm not able to move as much weight as they can. So now that we've been interrupted and I've gone off on this tangent, I've talked about, you know, my pants and everything like that. Um, Romo, let's they, get are, nice actual hypothe- they are nice
1: pants they are nice pants though
0: that. i appreciate that let's get back to the actual hypothesis uh not if strength would come back but they're looking at a sp- specific component correct
1: yeah yep so they were actually looking at this notion that muscle memory resides within the myonuclei so essentially what happens is as the muscles grow or as the muscles hypertrophy, as we, as we call it, they build new nuclei to match that growth. So if you spend a whole lot of time growing your muscles, you're also going to have a whole lot of nuclei that you've added as part of that muscle growth. So there's this hypothesis out there called myonuclear domain hypothesis which essentially just says that the nuclei that you built while you were growing the muscle die when the cells atrophy. So there's been some research that's been pointing to the fact that when a muscle atrophies, not all of the nuclei are lost, which would then suggest that these nuclei play a key role in us putting muscle back on quickly after these periods of inactivity. So if nuclei doesn't sound interesting, you might want to rethink it because it could be the key to you bringing your gains back. So uh, unfortunately, in this study, there was actually no significant myonuclear increase in fiber growth following the training phase. Um, so basically, what that just means is when the when the training group went through those first 12 weeks, there was not enough of an increase in the, the size where they could actually then use the remaining 24 weeks of the study to test it. So unfortunately, it was one of those things where they were kind of doomed after the first 12 weeks. Um, so unfortunately, yeah. they they literally could not investigate the, the theory. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I think that this field of research is, is really exciting. Um, and especially, you know, it's good stuff to know, especially heaven forbid we go on another lockdown, which I sure don't right. hope we have to.
0: Right, right, and and really, kind of what I'm thinking in my head is like I was talking about earlier: is these are older gentlemen whose testosterone levels are lower, and their their muscles are not responding. In fact, their muscles are are decreasing in size uh, at average rate. At, what is it like? Off the top of my head, I can't think of the the true number, but I want to say it's like. Uh, 2 or 3% every year after you turn 30 or something like that. Like that's how much your body decreases in muscle mass. So, or muscle mass potential, I guess is a better way to put it. So if you're looking at these gentlemen who are, you know, in their late 70s or late 60s, well, yeah, no, they're they're not going to be able to put on muscle and build nuclei as, as readily as someone who's 18, 19, 20, 25, 30. So in the future, it'd be fun to see, you know, looking at a younger population and seeing how that goes. Although... I don't know if you're going to get a 25 year old to train, stop training, train again, you know, too many, too many compounding variables in
1: that equation. I think. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I definitely, I probably wouldn't have done that at 25, but you know, no, I think especially that you're like, you're, you you see ahead. the
0: gains and you're like, I'm going to keep, I, I need to keep training. Like you're going to get addicted to it at that age.
1: I know. I know those were, those were some of my, my prime days. So I definitely get that, but I think you're right. I think it'd be interesting to literally take that same study and, and do it with a, a younger population, assuming, you know, right. those, those variables weren't limiting, but let's, I kind of want to shift this back to you. Cause we've covered a lot of really important stuff. And all I could really think about is how this pertains to your athletes specifically so you know we we've talked about you know glycogen depletion we've talked about uh, type 1 fibers transitioning to type 2 which i think is especially important for your endurance athletes when we want to have more type 1 fibers are you worried about their performance you know because you guys had a period of inactivity or reduced activity if I remember correctly right. so are you right. worried about that did you see it like what did it look like with your athletes so it was it was a very stressful
0: kind of time for the head coach, for me, for the team in general. You know, our our athlete, our Olympic athlete, she comes back to China and she has to go into a room, and you know she's she's in a room with basically nothing. I mean, she's got a bed, she has a uh, her trainer, bike trainer, she has a handful of bands and whatnot, but she really doesn't have too much. To actually, to actually do because she, she physically can't get out and run. She's locked in a room. So it was very frustrating to program both on my end and on my head coach's end. Um, so, you know, being the inquisitive person I am, I decided to look into what actually happens for these endurance athletes when it drops, when their training program drops. And fortunately, it's not it's not terrible. It's not 100% terrible, especially because she still could ride her trainer bike inside of her room. And if we're looking at, for the most part, you're usually looking at VO2 max for endurance athletes. And what I found was generally within two weeks, the VO2 max will drop by about 7% and about 9% by three weeks. And so it's not, it's not terrible especially since those are from complete cessation of training and it continues similar to earlier if you're a well-trained athlete uh, or someone who has been doing a lot of endurance workouts for some time but your cardiovascular function isn't actually declining during this time and that's that's probably the more important aspect of it yeah you're gonna feel like you can't run as far yeah you're gonna feel like you can't swim as far but cardiovascular the, the internal combustion components of your body your heart are still still able to put the same output out later on as you return to your conditioning relatively soon. So um, if we're looking at that VO2 max, what we're really seeing happening in those first few weeks is blood volume levels decreasing. Our blood volume increases as we increase our cardiovascular output because we have to get more and more oxygen to our muscles. And so the first thing to go is the easiest thing to kind of take away. And that's, that's blood blood can be made and, and, you know, shipped out relatively easy. I I don't know the exact figures, but our blood kind of turns over. I think once every seven days, our blood cells are a couple weeks. Don't quote me on that. Romo. Don't quote me on that one. I don't know that one off the top of my head very well, but I do know that our blood re recycles itself. So as we, as we, you know, go into this detraining position the blood thins out we stop having as much hemoglobin and your heart doesn't have to pump as much so therefore it's not sending it out to your the rest of the body to the muscles to make this vo2 max that much more proficient and that's generally the first thing you see and fortunately that blood will then come back within the first few training sessions and you're usually not looking at too much of a long-term deficit which is good um I did look up a few of the maintenance studies for this and I won't go into too much detail, but they looked at individuals who went from six days a week of endurance training to two days a week. And like I already mentioned to you, my athlete was at least in a room with a bike trainer. I think she was averaging about 300 kilometers a week, which is around, I got to do that math here real quick. Hang on. 60, 120, 180 miles of riding every week inside of a room. And I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there and had to be on a trainer for 180 miles, literally just in the same room, spinning my wheels,
1: I would go crazy. I don't know I how she did it. it. She's I couldn't do it. She's incredible,
0: nope. an incredible athlete. Just spinning her wheels, literally spinning her wheels in place. No, nope, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, uh, pun a little bit intended. She was actually in there for three weeks, which made it even worse because Beijing was doing stupid stuff. Anyways. The study, it was looking at a small sample size. So don't take, you know, don't put too much water into this, but, uh, they were looking at cycling and running individually and their VO2 max decreased by about 25% in the first 10 weeks. But then over the next several months, I think this looked at over seven or eight months, it only dropped by an additional 5% at that point in time. And so relating this back to my athlete, like I said, she was doing 300 kilometers a week on her trainer and doing plyometric training for cross training work. So she was still able to keep up some function. So as much as I was worried, my head coach and I to, to summarize, let's bring this back to your original question. We were at least able to help maintain some of her function. And we actually just had her do a mock, a mock triathlon at her current training site, which I'm not currently at. And I want to say her numbers didn't drop off by anything too concerning. You know, only a couple, I think like a minute or two here and there which is easy to get back once she really gets back on the horse and, and gets back to it.
1: That's awesome. And I know Sue, just your personal preference, you're not a huge fan of cardio. Um, but would you recommend cardio as a, as a form of fitness right now, especially for you know people like us who might only have the outdoor running trail at our disposal? Dude, I,
0: I loathe running. I did loathe running. I got locked in that room for two weeks And man, it changed me. It changed me, man. (laughs) It'll change a (laughs) man. It'll change a man. No, I got out. No joke. When I got out of uh, quarantine, locked in a room. So just to summarize this, I was physically locked in a room in a hotel, could not leave, could not go out, couldn't walk around. And I had my bed, my computer, my TV, my bathroom, and that was it. And as soon as I got out, I didn't want anything to be I didn't want anything to to do with being in a room anymore. So I started running just like went out and ran that day and I've been running at least three to four times a week from since April 1st. And so, yeah, I would say as long as, as long as you feel physically able, you, you know, the same standard things apply, you know, make sure you don't have any heart conditions. And if you can go see your doctor, if not just walking right now is fine. Just getting outside, doing some form of cardio, but Um, It's a good time to explore something else, and I still don't love running, but I love the fact that I'm not in a room
1: like I am right now talking to you. Sure. Sure. I mean, we, you know, this is a little off topic, but I like the idea of just breaking up sedentary activity. So whether it is running, whether it's walking, whether it's a bike ride, we, we literally, me and Alexandra, we just bought rollerblades and we've been rollerblading a ton, like granted, I'm having a blast. I think I might've, I think I might've discovered what, what I should have done in life was maybe be a professional inline rollerblader. But where I'm going with this is just the combination of the outdoors and activity and not sitting on a couch is of tremendous value right now. I do want to let you know,
0: cause I think, I think you would benefit from this knowledge here. Uh, the problem with rollerblading is that it locks your ankle into a fixed position so there's no gastroc well there's some some (laughs) activation but you're not getting any calf muscle activation so because you're not plantar flexing at any point in time and it's not going to do anything for your calves i mean your your glute meat and men are going to look phenomenal you're going to have a good looking butt here in a minute but your calves are just going to
1: smaller and smaller (laughs) well you you you're going to atrophy from disuse you probably didn't get the memo. I actually got mine custom made. So they put a break on the toes. That way I could set up uh, on a curb and calf raise with a break on my t- uh, front foot position. So, joke's on you. I'm doing calf raises in my rollerblades. And I got nice glutes. So, fuck right off, Stu. <sighs> Oh man! All right, real quick before before we
0: leave, because we've talked at length today. We this is the longest thing podcast to date. Could, I I apologize, but I'm also not sorry. Like, what else are you gonna do right now while you're in that? Could you lockdown? could you
1: tell? Could you tell the last three podcasts have exponentially increased in time? We used to do cardio 20s, and now these people are like, dude, are you guys kidding me? Like, this is an hour and a half podcast. <laughs>
0: hey, we put a commercial break in there, use it. In fact, we had two breaks because I had the the cleaning ladies come in to disrupt this. So you got two breaks, don't complain. You're going to be fine. You got nothing else to do. Uh, but before we go, I thought it'd be nice just to kind of like just spitball some ideas of what people should be doing or could be doing right now, you know? And and I think it's super exciting. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people, my friend groups who... Um, didn't even work out beforehand and they're like, well, I have nothing to do now. So now they're asking me for like workout ideas and everything like that. So anyone out there who is just like starting on their fitness journey, like awesome. Don't worry about what you're doing. Just get a rhythm going and get the initial awfulness of working out over and soon you'll become addicted and you'll be fine. The first hit is always free. After that,
1: you got to pay for it. (laughs) oh man we got a comedian over there you uh, you've been uh working on your humor i see since uh since you've been on lockdown
0: i've been trying to compete with your puns you know and I, I no lo- joke i love a good pun ever since you ever since you came out anytime someone says the training intensity all i think of <laughs> is intense
1: i love it i told you you'll never forget that joke i fucking hate that joke that's like the best <clears throat> it's the best joke. I'm the king of dad jokes. For for anyone who doesn't know
0: this actually, Rumble, tell them that tell him the joke. <laughs> or no, 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 no let, let's so no, 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 let's 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 set it up. I'm going to help you set this up. We're going to make this fake interaction. Uh dude, man, that lifting session I had yesterday was intense. Do you know
1: what else is intense though? Uh no, what? What's intense? Camping still can't laugh not laugh but if you didn't get the joke if you didn't get the joke we can't be friends don't listen to this podcast unfollow me on all platforms and delete my phone number because I will not be your friend if you don't find some humor in that joke it's phenomenal
0: I fucking hate it <laughs>
1: um but yeah there's just some other
0: things to spitball throw out here you know, in-home plyometrics, you can literally look up a plyometric pro- program and just start doing some mini jump stuff and working on your calves. So you can get some good looking calves.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keep taking shots. Keep taking shots. The other I things think, I would uh, probably recommend. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to make a plug to, um, unintentional, but intentional at the same time, guys, if you don't know, how to do any workouts um, on our YouTube page, on the Make It Train YouTube page, uh, which will be linked in the description. We've got 21 edited uh, at-home workout videos with full instructions. So if you're brand new to it, um, I literally walk through how to do the movements and, and cues and things like that. So that's a good place to start. Everything's free. Check that out. Um, had to plug and it. Don't, but I think don't it, worry.
0: For the good cause. No, no, it's, per- it's, it's perfect. I mean, and don't worry because... Romo's not like Shanti from Insanity where you look at him and you're like, Oh, this dude's doing a bazillion things and I feel bad about myself. Uh, report has it. I wasn't able to be up for this because he does these <laughs> workouts while I'm sleeping. Report has it that the the most recent chest workout was so tough that Romo himself could not complete his program, his his exercise plan for that day. He had to he had to
1: take it down a little bit and uh, yeah, cut the, the rep short. Honestly, it's true. So like the the really good news about editing video is when you put up the edited video on YouTube, nobody sees that. The really bad news is when you're doing the workout live on Instagram, everybody sees that and no joke, we were on the second set of the workout and I had to cut the rep scheme in half, which, hey, that's fine. That's, that's uh, responding
0: to your body's stresses and responding to your body's response to the the plan at hand so don't ever think that you have to do 100 percent of whatever your program says you
1: listen to your body and do what you have to do right yeah well I think that's a good point too Stu is is you know a lot of these programs that you're going to find out there are probably going to be more intense and in, and in maybe a little bit more advanced so I think the key <laughs> is it's not about trying to you know hit the home run, hit some singles. So maybe you break that yeah. workout, that one workout into three smaller sessions per day that are doable and manageable versus trying to say, Hey, I'm going to start working out today. And let me just work out for four hours. I think that is something to you know note. If you are going to to you know, start getting active, you don't have to try to right. do it all in one day. It's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I think it's important. Like if, Even if you can do the whole workout in one go, like one full hour session or two hour session, I would actually recommend you break that up into a few bouts anyway, because the monotony of being in your home, having known this, having experienced like sitting in a freaking hotel room for two weeks straight, uh, having segmented workout portions just makes your day go by that much better. And you're looking forward to the next hour ahead because you're able to do something else. Good point. Um, one one thing we've touched on before in a previous podcast, but don't, don't, don't forget the basics here. Like good sleep right now. You don't have an excuse that you have to be up for work tomorrow. You don't have an excuse that you have to go out to a friend's house, like get some good sleep in there and make sure it has good sleep hygiene. You know, you don't want it to be on your cell phone the whole time. Uh, maybe you put on this, this silly podcast so you can fall asleep because we make no sense and that's fine too. <laughs> maybe, you know, I don't
1: know. We're the number one sleep and, selling supplement. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you take melatonin? No, I I take make it train. Trade it for life.
0: (laughs) I listen to those fools talk about stupid shit all the time. What are (laughs) they even doing? They go on for an hour and a half. What are we on? Like two hours, I think, at this point for this podcast? Holy crap, I'm going to have to split it up.
1: No, it's one podcast. And if anybody's still listening right now and you send us a message that says, hey, I'm still listening to you idiots, we will do something for you. I don't know what, but we'll do something. (laughs) Oh man. Um,
0: I guess I'm going to leave it with one more thing uh, on the the recommendations is, uh you know, change your goals for right now. Let the goals suit the situation. Don't think that you need to be, you know, the, the, the best at doing squats right now or something like that with the most amount of weight, like make it attainable, make it easy, make it fun more importantly, so that you can actually get to get to doing it, you know?
1: I could not agree more with you, Stu. And I think maybe what we do because we covered so much is I'll recap a couple of my points. You recap a couple of your points. We'll wrap this thing up because it would be a heck of an outro if we, we try to cover it all. So I'll start. Um, yeah. The main the main takeaways, guys, that we talked about and really the premise of this podcast. I know that we kind of went off on a few tangents and had some fun, but we were really trying to look at what happens to the size of the muscle during periods of inactivity or deloading, detraining, whatever you want to call it. And we brought in a whole bunch of different research to kind of look at this. So uh, the the first thing to keep in mind is that before we even look at the size of the muscle itself, uh, we need to be aware that a depletion of glycogen and think of it, we explained it as having a gas tank that might go from being full to halfway full uh, regularly is going to change both visually how you look as well as um, the weight on the scale. Um, so that was the main takeaway from glycogen. Then Stu, you want to kind of quickly recap on what we uh, learned about the actual size of the muscle um, in, in your studies? Yeah, so the basically the takeaway from when I was talking at great length was
0: the studies that we were looking at were looking at the cross-sectional analysis of these muscles and seeing what the actual amount of atrophy was happening. And so... Probably the the first takeaway is expect some atrophy somewhere under 20% and expect something to atrophy because if you you think that it's not going to happen, you're fooling yourself. But the good news is, is based off of the research is that it's going to come back and it will come back and your strength will come back. Your endurance will come back. Everything will come back when you get back to it. And in the short term, just try to minimize the effects, you know, get out there, do something, have fun with it. Uh, make this into a positive, make a negative into a positive, or as the old saying goes, when you, when you get lemons, um, make a gin and tonic.
1: (laughs) Now we're talking.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing I would say to take home from what I talked about. Just do something, just have fun while we can.
1: I agree. So there you have it, guys. Don't sit on your asses. Keep moving where you can. If, if it works, get, you know, activities that do have a, a tension and, and resistance component to it. But above all else, keep yourself mentally healthy, keep yourself physically healthy. And if you listen to this entire podcast, you are the real MVP because this was by far the longest one. Uh, but obviously, like we said, you guys got nothing to do. We got a little <laughs> extra time. So uh, we appreciate you guys being with us. Uh, As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, drop it to us in an email, trainitforlife at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for training with us today.